Well, good afternoon everyone. I'm so glad you were able to make it out today and we've had quite the weather and events going on. Uh, to kind of pick up where we left off, this is the third and hopefully last part of the series I started last month that was going over what is the difference between body, soul, and spirit. Uh, the text comes from Thessalonians. Um, as I did last time, though, I have all the slides, the verses I'm going to use, because I still have about 20-something verses that we're going to go through, and I understand that can take time to flip through it. So I encourage you, again, write the verses down, because as John told us, uh, uh, don't believe every spirit, uh, as in mine, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Now, I assure you I'm not a false prophet, but uh, just to keep, uh, to keep me also in line, I encourage you to go back through, uh, take a look at these verses yourself uh, as we go through these to kind of help expedite what we're talking about. So again, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and thanks to Logan, I changed a lot of my text to the NIV because I compared it and it made a lot more sense whenever I read it. I have an example of one later. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we extensively went through uh, this idea of body and spirit. Now, the body, we, we didn't really spend too much time on. I think we all have kind of a firm grasp on what a body is, what a body does. But even we mentioned in Job how Job said, I would see my Savior with my eyes. Now, we know that those won't be his physical eyes, but in a sense, we still have this representation of us being our body. Then we got into what is a soul, what is a spirit? Uh, the first spirit we talked about was the Holy Spirit, and what does the Holy Spirit do? How can we uh, find out in the text if it's talking about the Holy Spirit just versus another type of spirit? And then if you remember, there is a lot of different spirits we talked about. There are evil spirits that we commonly refer to as demons or those that are from Satan. There are uh, contrite spirits, which is really referring to our own feelings of what we are. Uh, we talked about the spirit that was given to Saul. He had a troubled spirit. Um, and the thing that made that better was being he was refreshed versus actually having a spirit taken away. And there was a lot of different spirits, and I encourage you, if you don't remember too much, maybe go back, re-listen to it, go back through your notes, because uh, we don't, unfortunately don't have the time today to go through all those. Uh, and we also mentioned angels as being a spirit. Uh, the big takeaway, though, when reading and understanding what a spirit is, we need to carefully consider the context that it's being used before ascribing the meaning to that word spirit. We can't look at one spirit in the Bible and say, that must be the Holy Spirit. Without looking at the context it's talking about, that would be inappropriate for us to do. And unfortunately, many of false doctrine have been uh, justified by using the wrong meaning in, the wrong, in, the, in a passage. So moving on, we're going to go into what a soul is. In Hebrew, the word soul, nefesh, in the Greek, suche, it literally means a breathing creature, or in other words that we can put it, it's life. And uh, in this regard, it can refer to the natural life in the body. In Matthew 2.20, the word for soul here is translated literally as life. So saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life or soul are dead. Now this is referring to Jesus as he was gone uh, when Herod was looking for them. 
Another one where the, the same word is translated both life and soul we can find is in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life or soul. So as you see here, a soul, I think, is what's generally used is uh, this part of us that will be judged and um, another thing. But as we find here in different contexts, it has a different meaning, and its, its meaning is life. It can also refer to any living, uh, breathing creature. So I think commonly we refer to souls as just being, belonging to people. In Revelation, though, the word for soul here is... Uh, translated, I have it bolded. It says, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Now, from the Greek, that's translated that same word for soul. But it's talking about all the living creatures that are in the sea. And clearly, men do not live in the sea. Uh, of course, Revelation is uh, a book itself full of figurative language, but that's where that, uh, it's used in this context. In 1 Corinthians 15.45, it talks about man becoming a living creature. It says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now here we have a little bit different of life-giving spirit versus a soul. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about the commonality between a soul, whereas if you remember from spirit, we each have our own spirit. Even Elisha, he asked for the spirit of Elijah. Did he literally get to be Elijah? No, but he went around in the same spirit as him. And even when we talked about John the Baptist, he was in the spirit of Elijah as well. So moving on with that, and uh, so at extension it refers to a person. Uh, sometimes we can say that there wasn't a soul at the meeting, or there wasn't a soul uh, there that night. Um, and in Acts 2.41, that's the same kind of meaning that it's used here. It says, those who received his word were baptized, and those were added that day about 3,000 souls. And in other uh, translations, it refers to as uh, people, lives, uh, and such. In Romans 2, 9 through 10, it says, every soul is equated to every man. Notice, it says, trouble and distress will be upon every soul of man or human being that does evil. Of the Jews first, and also the Gentiles. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that does good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. Once again, this is summing up the whole of mankind. Uh, this isn't limited to just one part of a person. And then we go on to Hebrews 10.38. It says, God refers to himself as my soul. And this is, this is one that I had never really... Uh, spent a lot of time on, and it really uh, pricked my ears when I read about it. It says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So here we have God showing that he has a soul. What is the soul of God like? We know God has a, a spirit as well, his Holy Spirit. So it's interesting here, and this is like, once again, uh, I encourage you as we go through this, you know, hopefully we're, we're thinking of more questions as we go on to uh, dig deeper, to look and find more meaning in what we've been uh, talking about. So, uh, moving on, in John 10, 24, he says, uh, The Jews surrounded him, and they said to him, How long do you keep us or our souls in doubt? So, because our, um, our soul is translated as us, uh, it it's not always used in everybody's text, but I had to look up at different ones. It says, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Isn't it interesting that they would use that kind of language? 
Like, how long do you keep us? And what they meant was our souls waiting. So how, how are we defining a soul? How would you define a soul in this context? It can be kind of difficult. And that's why we need to take the time to spend in the text to read about it and understand it. So because our life refers to us, uh, it can be used to refer to our spirit living after death. In Psalm 16.10, it says, You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Uh, this is God. Um, he will not leave his son's soul in Hades. We talked, Logan just led that song not too long ago. And it's such a, a visual song to me. Uh, you can see Jesus tearing bars away, tearing down the, uh, the, the barrier of death that has so plagued mankind, and Jesus defeated that. We also read about the souls of martyred Christians in Revelations. In Revelation 6, 9 through 10, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? The soul, too, can also refer to emotional um, feelings, perceptions, and attitudes of man. This can get a little confusing because we also refer to as spirits. Uh, if you remember, I talked about um, Elijah when he felt like he was the only prophet left in the land, the only worshiper of God, and God would send him and he refreshed his spirit. We mentioned that, you know, when you're getting a little hungry or thirsty, you might not be the same spirit as you are as when you're full and happy. Um, I mentioned that term hangry, you know, a person that's angry because they're hungry. And then once they get some food in their bellies, they start to feel better. They have a different kind of spirit. They have a different kind of attitude. And this is where this word is used in Matthew 11, verse 29. That Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in your heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You ever heard somebody say, I'm just, my soul is so weary. You just get like, you feel like you're on a bad streak, you have a lot of bad news piling up on you, and you just can't take it anymore. Uh, Jesus offers rest for our weary souls. Uh, it's, it's really hard to grasp, isn't it? It's very intangible in a way, versus our bodies being physically tired. What do we do? Well, we have a sleep mechanism if you have time to sleep, and that restores you. Uh, in this same sense, it's possible that Jesus is meaning to restore our souls through him, that we will find that rest for our souls. In Matthew 26, 38, it talks about Jesus' soul. It says, he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And in that same context, what is Jesus' soul? Why is he troubled? We think about it, Jesus being the man. How would you feel knowing what you're getting ready to do is to die a horrible death? And worst part about it, you're going to be alone. And even worse part about it, um, at one point, God is going to turn his back on you. How sorrowful could you possibly be? You know, to the point of uh, sweating blood. That's what Jesus used here. He used that word, my soul is very sorrowful. And there's a part of us that's inside of us that... You can't always put a finger on it, but when you hear extremely bad news, you know, you can't have a physiological part of your body that says, this part hurts because I have bad news. My heart is broken, we tend to say. Is it our literal heart that's broken? You know, 
usually not. But it's a different part of us, and that's where uh, we can sometimes use that interchangeably of soul and heart, but as we'll see in a little bit, it's not always that simplified. Here's the text I want to compare versus the American Standard versus the NIV. In Acts 14.2, these souls were stirred up to an evil attitude. So in the top part, it's the American Standard Version, and this says, The Jews that were disobedient stirred up the souls of the Gentiles and made them evil, affected against the brethren. Now, if you're like me, I don't really get that last half of it. Made them evil, affected against the brethren. That doesn't really make sense to me. And this is where we can use other translations to make uh, more sense of things. So reading this exact same verse from a different translation, it says, The Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. Does that make a little bit more sense, to poison somebody's mind against somebody? Absolutely. Uh, but going up to, we realize that it stirred up their souls of the Gentiles. In the bottom text, it doesn't use the word soul. But it was that. It stirred them up. It got them rallied up. They were ready to do something. And what did they do? They made their minds turn against these other people. So the soul, too, it can refer to the seat of will, your purpose, and decision-making. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. it says, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, notice, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Does this verse sound similar to another verse? It probably does, and it should. But notice here, uh, when Jesus says this, you don't love the God, your God, with some of your heart. You don't love him with part of your soul. You love him with all of it. And once again, uh, here's where I mentioned we sometimes might use our heart and soul interchangeably. We might use our mind and soul or spirit and soul. But notice that it has a distinction here. That there is a heart, a soul, and a mind. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't really spent a lot of time just searching in what the heart is versus all that or the mind. But uh, like I said, we're trying to go through uh, seeing the context of soul. Now, I mentioned the verse that uh, plays into this. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, uh, the command was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, maybe we could compare those a little bit. And, uh, you know, what, what changed here? Going back, we see that love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And in Deuteronomy, it says, Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So maybe that's something we need to look into. Maybe I know it's something I need to check out a little bit more. Why would Jesus use a different word for that? And then in Ephesians 6, verse 6, the soul is translated as heart. So are you thoroughly confused yet? Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart or your soul. You notice, how does God see man? When God was picking out the second king of Israel and all David's brothers came before him, you know, Samuel, he, surely this is the one. He's tall, he's handsome, he could probably swing a sword pretty good. No, that's not him. How does God look? God looks at the heart of a man. And David is often compared to as a man after God's own heart. And as we mentioned earlier, it's difficult to distinguish between soul and spirit. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12. But while the Bible tells us, though, what we need to remember is that there are two distinctions between it. And I'm going to leave you with this verse again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, that 
There is a difference. The Bible makes a distinction. We don't always maybe know how to use our own words to verbalize that. But I I challenge you, I encourage you, uh, as you go on through your studies and as I study, uh, help me out. Help me understand where you have come from, what you may understand these things. uh, Let's not try and overlap them as one and another, but let's try and separate these as best we can. Uh, With that being said, that is the last bit I have for this lesson. I hope it's been extremely beneficial to you. It, It certainly has been to me. Again, I hope you have more questions. Uh, I certainly have more, and I'll be doing my best to keep studying, and uh, I'll bring what I find to you, and you bring it to me. Uh, With that being said, though, um, there are souls here that might need something from the congregation, whether it be prayers, whether it need to be baptized. We always offer an invitation. Uh, There's no better time than now. There's no better place than here. So if anyone here has a need of the congregation, why don't you come forward now as we stand and as we sing.